Greetings, Harvard College class of 2018, and congratulations. What a privilege it is to be here with you today in this hectic, joyous, scary, hopeful, glorious week as you prepare to pass through the gates into the company of educated persons. Four years ago, under the threat of thunderstorms, we gathered for your convocation in a tent on the Science Center Plaza. It was broiling hot, and you sat fanning yourselves as Dean Karana and I and a cloud of elders in dark robes welcomed you to the next four years. We told you that, in fact, a kind of alchemy was about to happen, that here amongst the whomping willows and courses in the dark arts, as you wandered and connected and explored, Harvard would transform you, stir your hearts and minds as perhaps never before. Now, at about that point, an alumnus at the back was overcome either by the rhetoric or the heat and actually fainted. <laughs> so now, here we are, just us, all upright, at least so far, in this strange medieval ritual we call the baccalaureate, at a moment in your lives more suited for bacchanalia. It's one of my favorite events, though still after 11 years, no less daunting, as I am to stand before you to impart the sober wisdom of age to the semi-sober impatience of youth. <laughs> Transformation. It's a word you've probably heard a lot over the past four years. Dean Karana uses it at the outset of every meeting he convenes. <laughs> you noticed. Affirming the mission of the college as, and I'm quoting him, a commitment to the transformative power of a liberal arts and sciences education. Now, at least some of you have remained dubious about this project. One of you captured that when you said you didn't really know what transformative power meant, except that, and I'm quoting, it was vaguely evocative of finding yourself in an amorphous college sort of way, and you were sure it lay ahead of you somewhere. Now, we all at some point want to transform, but transformation is different from change. It has a direction. It creates a new form out of a familiar thing. It's thorough, it's often radical, and when it's about us, it's usually positive. No one says, I want to be Kafka's character in the metamorphosis who wakes up as a cockroach. The kind of change that I understand may occur after 48 hours in Lamont drinking Red Bull <laughs> or one too many Hefe's burritos at 4 a.m. I'm pretty sure that's not the transformation that Dean Karana had in mind. <clears throat> so what happened? How did our experiment in transformation work out? It's a good question. At the very least, you entered a stream of change from the moment you arrived, experiencing as a class many firsts and lasts. And even though we're in a church, please feel free to make some noise. 
you were first with a concentration in theater, dance, and media, and first, good, and first to explore the reinvented art museums that reopened soon after you arrived. You were barely acclimated when you survived Snowpocalypse, also known, <laughs> also known as Snowmageddon and SnowMG. <laughs> Harvard's first snow day closure in recent memory. Book ended, of course, by four blizzards in March, just in time for your senior theses. You were the first freshman to have official voluntary composting in the dorms. Now this is outside of the involuntary composting in your mini fridges. <laughs> your food, if not transformative, evolved as you inaugurated Saturday brunch lasted through the first dining hall workers' strike in 30 years, with some of you joining the picket lines, and lined up in a blizzard, naturally, to try Hawaiian food at Pokey Works. <laughs> you embraced new technologies as you learned two-step verification, hoping for greater privacy. <laughs> and you got to know each other in evolving spaces, like Tinder or the League Waitlist, hoping for greater intimacy. <laughs> Woo! Swiping left, swiping right. The campus itself transformed as Cabot Library morphed, the Smith Center was reimagined, and Winthrop House reborn. And, and Winthrop won the Strauss Cup for the third straight year. And Lamont stopped checking your backpacks. <laughs> Our language shifted along with our cultures. Housemasters alighted to faculty deans. The law school lounge, law school lounge became Belinda Hall. Final clubs for fraternities and sororities became USGSOs. <laughs> and entire schools assumed new names. With your encouragement, the college adopted an honor code. You saw graduate students vote to unionize. You saw the entire campus agitate over sexual harassment and sexual assault. You welcomed the first dean of inclusion and belonging. And after 174 years, because of your persistence, you likely witnessed the last all-male hasty pudding cast. <laughs> As Harvard changed, you changed Harvard in distinctive ways. You revived old traditions like the mumps and... <laughs> and the first Frozen Four appearance for men's hockey in 23 years. <laughs> and you closed out some other traditions. Alas, a string of nine football victories over a school in Connecticut came to an end. You saw the last seven minutes of Harvard time 
and the last of free HBO. Boo. And you started a few traditions of your own. How about the first non-binary gender option for the annual Valentine data match? <laughs> How about a play called Black Magic about race and identity that shattered precedent on the low main stage? And how about an 18th How Cup victory that gave the women's squash team the most in the nation's history? Not bad. <laughs> and in case anyone doubted your versatility and range, you produced prize-winning theses on lassovirus detection, on misinformation in social network news, on Nigerian sex worker migration, on the cultural history of the helicopter in Vietnam, on Swedish Muslim identity, on carbon storage and salt marshes, just to name a few. Meantime, the world beyond Harvard Yard grew less stable and more uncertain, so different, as one of you said, than when we entered. Now, in case you are feel <coughs> <coughs> I know I have many common coffers out here I've been listening to. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Not sure what we all have, but we can share it. <clears throat> now, in case you were feeling special, I'm obliged to state the well-worn truth that every class and every generation faces a precarious world. Consider just two of your forerunners. By commencement, roughly half the Harvard class of 1918 had left to fight in World War I, many never to return. Or think about the class of 1968. That was my college graduation year, not so long ago, at least compared to 1918. <laughs> we confronted a seemingly apocalyptic world of war and riots and assassinations, which we were convinced we would set right before our fifth uh, reunion, rallying behind the cry, never trust anybody over 30. <clears throat> and yet you, class of 2018, have a claim in this contest as you enter a roiling and turbulent world where every day feels bizarrely dangerous as if the other shoe is about to drop. In four years, you have witnessed calamitous violence nationwide. You've cast your first votes for president in a divisive and polarizing election. You've observed fraying cords of civility and trust. By the end of 2016, as juniors, you found yourself at the heart of an institution whose motto is Veritas, yet you are in a climate where alternative facts fuel public discourse, and post-truth was the Oxford English Dictionary word of the year. And all of this amidst a technological revolution, begun in no small part right here at Harvard, propelling a transformation as complex and disruptive as any in human history. No matter what your politics, the jolt of these experiences threw you into the public sphere with a new sense of responsibility. You became, as one of you put it, a class of movements for change. You marched for causes of every kind, challenged one another over free speech by inviting and protesting the same speaker. And you advocated for gender, global gender equality with stand-up comedy. You won a Marshall Scholarship to use art as activism, created a college admissions website for students from all backgrounds, 
and supported DACA students in a candlelight vigil here on the steps of Memorial Church. You've encouraged girls to change the world with computer science and technology. And you've boosted health and education for kids in your native Rwanda where homeless and alone at age nine, your one request to go to school changed your life. And so we have a partial answer to our question. You did transform. Writer Lawrence Wexler calls it catching fire. When people, or sometimes whole places, just going about their business, suddenly ignite. They become, as he puts it, intensely focused and alive, and their lives become different than they thought they would be. Thursday's commencement speaker, John Lewis, caught on fire the exact words he used when he was a student just about your age and the injustice of segregation came to seem no longer tolerable. He describes it as the spirit of history descending upon him, compelling him to risk beatings and even his own life in the struggle for civil rights. I came to believe, he writes, that this force on the side of what is right and just, at certain points in life, in the flow of human existence, this spirit finds you or selects you it chases you down, and you have no choice. You must carry out what must be done. This describes the emergence of the civil rights movement in the late 1950s. It also describes the Parkland students who have determined that school shooting deaths must stop, that there can be no further excuses for letting more people like their 17 schoolmates and teachers lose their lives. Many of you have caught fire as well during your time here. Perhaps it was that day in your sociology course when you learned that deaths from breast cancer were 37% higher for black women than for white, and you resolved to change health inequities and organized Harvard's first Black Health Matters conference. Or, or perhaps it was your faith in God that inspired you to start a weekly gathering to discuss how to live a life of joy and purpose. Or perhaps it was the death of a friend that led you to push legislation to prevent gun-related suicides and inspire a crowd of thousands against gun violence at the Boston March for Our Lives. Or perhaps it was the injury of a teammate that inspired you to partner with a local business to raise funds for him and his family. You ignited. Some might even say, you're lit, or maybe we <laughs> And here's the first of three points I want to make about transformation before you head off to Widener's hallowed steps to take your class photo. Let's call them the three essential principles of transformation. Principle one, flip the story. It's not about you. Point one is that while we were all somehow expecting Harvard to transform you, you became transformative agents yourselves. To paraphrase John Lennon, transformation is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Surprise yourselves, I said at convocation four years ago. You did. You flipped the story. You realized, as Steve Jobs once put it, that you could poke the world right through its walls 
and make it better. But it was not just that you could make it better. You had to make it better. That moment came for me when I was a freshman in college, and it was because of John Lewis. As I watched on a flickering black and white TV as he and hundreds of others seeking their constitutional rights were tear-gassed and clubbed on Selma's Edmund Pettus Bridge, I knew I had to do something. I heard the voice of Martin Luther King declare, no American is without responsibility. We must all, he said, help bear the burden. And he called for a second march. I knew I had to go. I felt a moral imperative to act. It was as if there was no other choice. Congressman Lewis calls it making necessary trouble, a willingness to get in the way. I hear in your stories that same imperative, arrived at and expressed, as I've just suggested, in a thousand new and different ways. Every year, I have told students, do what matters to you. Find what you love. It might be stem cell research, or writing screenplays, or cryptocurrency finance. But don't settle for plan B, the safe plan, until you've tried plan A, even if it might require a miracle. I call it the parking space theory of life. Don't park 10 blocks away from your destination because you think you won't find a closer space. Go to where you want to be. You can always circle back to where you have to be. It's about doing what fulfills you, and that is important. But you have been telling me something more, and it might be time for me to amend and expand the parking space theory of life. Not just because of Uber and Lyft and the imminent arrival of driverless cars, but because during these four years, you have not only come to see your own lives differently, you have developed a more expansive goal, a broadening sense of where you want to be based on a new set of questions. Not just what are my passions, but how can I help and what is necessary at this time and place in the world. It is not just about your passions. It's about your purpose. Your expectations changed. The transformation promised at your convocation turned out to be less about you and more about everything around you. Principle two, see with fresh eyes. The truth is, and this is my second point, that is exactly what a liberal arts education prepares you to do. It enables us to see the world in order to understand how we can transform it. Think of the habits of mind that underpin every field of knowledge. The imperative to seek out diverse points of view when we lack perspective. The patience to deliberate in disorienting strangeness. The capacity to improvise in the face of the unexpected, including when to listen and when to do nothing. From literature and the arts, we gain imagination and empathy, a second sight on our common humanity. From history, we draw courage against all hope, understanding that things were once different and can be different again. From science, we learn humility and persistence, 
knowing that a sudden insight can reframe the universe. Most of us come to Harvard believing in merit. The talent combined with hard work and a little luck pays off, rightly so. And yet the spark of learning, the thing that catches us on fire, feels less like our own achievement and more like a gift, less earned than bestowed, touching any one of us at any moment. Some may call it insight, some may call it genius, but here's the rub. Personal transformation is the easy part. The harder part is what comes next, to light the world when we feel a responsibility to change it. As leaders, as young people, you bear a special burden of that responsibility. There was a reason that we in the 60s were loath to trust anyone over 30. It is the same reason that led the Parkland students to determine that adults had failed them, that they themselves must be the ones to stop gun violence in schools. It is the reason that I invest so much hope and faith in all of you to use your talents and education to fix this broken world. It will, after all, be your world far longer than it remains ours. More than a century ago, Harvard philosopher William James described that spirit of responsibility as the true Harvard alive in its most undisciplinable sons. He put it that way, it was all sons then. He found them intoxicated and exultant with the nourishment they find here. And he went on to say, beware when God lets loose a thinker on the world. All things then have to rearrange themselves. Principle three, take it with you. I want to leave you with one last point. Transformation principle three as you enter your lives beyond Harvard College. As we let you loose upon the world, take this spirit of transformation with you. Keep the fuel fired by your education burning. Catching fire may be a momentary flare, but transforming the world is a long haul. One of you put it this way, I don't think there is anything that makes me or anyone special in the way we succeed except having that spirit that tells us to keep going. Don't lose that spirit. Take it from your professors, from Arthur Kleinman, who showed you caregiving social science, from Sarah Lewis, who inspired you towards equal justice, from Melissa Goodman, who encouraged you to map the universe, no matter what your background. Take it from Lin-Manuel Miranda, who recently told us at the Kennedy School that life isn't only about being in the room where it happens, that famous Hamilton line from your freshman year, but it's also about bringing your whole self into the room, especially the parts of you that don't fit in, because then you just might transform the whole place. Take it always from each other, because Harvard never leaves you, and your connection is just beginning. 50 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was chosen as Harvard's very first class day speaker, an appointment he could not keep. But he left us with a call to action that still rings out today, and I'd like to leave it with you now. He said, transform the jangling discords of our world 
into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. Transform this pending cosmic elegy into a creative psalm of peace. Go well, class of 2018. Catch fire, swipe right, look outward together, and truly light the world. Thank you.